Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. The point is, is the cash flow isn't the best thing to think of when you're buying single family homes, but rather it's the equity appreciation. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return. And there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide in I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide. And you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got follow along Friday today. And we're going to talk about some lessons learned from the interviews that I did last week, which they're going to air in next month or two. So you haven't heard them yet, but here are some takeaways that I got. I'm not going to give you the whole thing because you'll want to listen to it yourself and I won't do it justice. But there are some takeaways from some interviews that I want to highlight. And I thought that would be interesting for everyone. So with that, first off, Theo, hello. How you doing, Joe? Doing great and looking forward to this conversation. So you want me to just roll right into it? Yep, jump right in. 
All right, cool. So number one, I was speaking to a gentleman named Alan Fruitman, and he has been focused on triple net lease properties for a couple decades. He is a broker. So his business is centered around connecting investors who are looking to be completely passive or almost completely passive. Nothing's completely passive in real estate, I don't think. But almost completely passive by taking their money and investing in triple net lease properties. So like a Dollar General or a Walgreens or a restaurant or an auto parts store, something like that. And one of the things I found interesting, for me, it's fun to talk to investors who, or in this case, a broker, who are focused on areas that I'm not focused on and areas that I don't talk to people much about. Triple net lease is not an area that I interview a lot of people on. So I find that very interesting. And one takeaway that I got from this conversation was that I was asking him about triple net lease and I asked him, okay, are there any ways to add value to triple net lease properties? And he said, nope, not my thing. I don't do that. I focus on properties that are more coupon clipping properties and opportunities. And I said, okay, what are some other asset classes that you've worked on? Nope, don't work on any other asset classes. <laughs> I only work on triple net lease properties where the cap rates are around four to 6% and they're completely passive investments. Okay. What are some other things that you've done? Nope, I don't do. So <laughs> he was very adamant about he stays in his lane. He has focused for a couple decades on triple net lease properties for investors who are looking to get into that. And I appreciate that and I respect that because what I found with Ashcroft Capital's deals is when I speak to investors who have not invested with us before, they ask me, do you do anything other than apartments? And my answer is always no. And they might ask, okay, well, have you ever done or would you do ground up development? And my answer is emphatically no. And the reason why is because I've realized just power and focus. And certainly Alan has taken that to an extreme or rather he's doubled down on it, I should say, not to an extreme, but he's doubled down on it because he's been doing it for decades. And that's what I really love. And it just reinforced in my mind the importance of owning a certain category and really focusing on that because the reality is we can make money in any type of asset class with most strategies because as long as we're experts in that asset class and in that strategy, whether it's a value-add play, whether it is taking a completely distressed property and stabilizing it. But the key is to be very, very good, or I should say exceptional at it. And in order to be exceptional, we've got to have a lot of practice. So this insight really rings true for anyone who jumps from one thing to another. And there certainly could be a healthy debate from value-add investors who say, I don't focus on a certain asset class. I just simply focus on being a value-add investor. And I have interviewed a handful of people. I've interviewed over 1,600 people. So only a handful of people who classify themselves as value-add investors and not focus on a certain asset class. And it works for them. But my opinion is that's the exception, not the norm. And for the vast majority of us, being focused on one area, assuming that we're active, not passive investors. If we're passive investors, then that's a different story. I think it's easier to focus on multiple areas because you're not the one executing the business plan. But if we're active investors focused on actively doing the business model, then staying in our lane 
and focusing on our one asset class with our one type of business plan is what I found to be the best way to set us up for success as investors. Yeah, your last statement about the ability to be successful by following any investment strategy kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Because one of the common things you'll see for people that are doing their new inductory posts on bigger pockets is they'll say that they're new to real estate and then they'll kind of ring off five or six different things that they're considering doing and they don't know which one to pick. And my advice is always just pick one, start and do something. And if you'd like it, then continue doing that indefinitely. And obviously you can evolve, you can change markets, you can change roles, change teams. But yeah, if you switch your strategy every single year, you don't have enough time to master any one strategy. And the second thing I was going to say is, this is kind of my philosophy right now, is I'll take it further than what he did about focusing on one investment strategy. So pick your one investment strategy and then figure out what role within that investment strategy you're really good at. And then focus on that and don't worry about, reflect on your background and say, okay, I've been doing sales for this many years. I've got high net worth individuals, but I have never asset managed an apartment community before. So rather than saying, well, I'm going to spend the next five years learning how to asset manage an apartment community, you've already got at least half of the skills to do half of the duties for raising money for apartments. So why not just find someone else to focus on the asset management? You stay in your lane, they stay in their lane. You've got your two lane highway, everything's covered and you can complete a deal rather than having to take the time to master both parts. And then obviously, you don't have to go really crazy and say, I'm only going to focus on this specific strategy, this specific duty, and this specific investment strategy in this market. Obviously, things change, so you can change markets. Maybe you have a little flexibility, but you probably don't want to go from raising money for apartments to no longer raising money and then starting to buy maybe single-family homes or, or kind of vice versa because you're kind of leaving all of your skills on the table. Yep. You know, I think as long as we're value-add investors who buy for cash flow, there's not a point in time in history where that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. because we're adding value to the property. Therefore, we're increasing the value of the property, but we purchase a property that currently cash flows. So even if worst case scenario, you bought in 2007 and you bought a cash flowing value-add deal, well, okay, sucks for you because you timed it poorly, but you didn't have a crystal ball. And there might've been some indicators that other people saw that you didn't, but whatever, here's a scenario you bought in 2007 and you bought a value add cash flowing property. Okay. Well, 2008 hit. I'm sorry that hurts, but as long as you keep your tenant or your residence there, depending on whatever you bought and your cash flowing, no harm, no foul. As long as you've got a loan on it, that lasts past the point of the recession. And then you're adding value to it. Maybe you don't add value for the first couple of years because you're in the middle of the recession, but then eventually you do. And you probably had that money or at least a line of credit or something allocated towards it that if it was a line of credit that you're not drawing down on, so you're not paying interest on that. And if it was equity up front that you had allocated for the renovations, okay, well, you are even in a better position because you're cash heavy during the down cycle. So you're mitigating the risk. So what was lesson number two you learned last week? Number two from Jake Stacy. He's an insurance broker. He's also an investor and he gave some tips for when he buys properties, what are some things he makes sure that he has from an insurance standpoint? One is make sure replacement cost is actually what it would cost to replace it and look at it from a cost per square foot standpoint. So break it down from a per square foot, how much would it cost to rebuild? That's a really easy way to think about, okay, what would it really cost to rebuild 
this property. Let's just go single family homes, luxury or high-end homes. They are going to cost around $250 to $300 per square foot. Now that depends on your area and depends on how you define luxury or high-end homes. But generally speaking, $250 to $300 is what it's going to cost per square foot to rebuild the house if you have one of those homes. Now, if it's a rental property and it's not in that category, then it could be significantly less. But you'll want to know that. So make sure that if bad things do happen to that home and you do have to build it back up, make sure you actually are covered for that amount. That's number one. Number two is have no coinsurance and make sure that if there is a penalty that you want that to be waived. Number three is the sewer drain and backup. Make sure you've got ample coverage on that. He makes sure he has at least $100,000 coverage on that. And again, he's referring to single family homes. So adjust accordingly if you're in a different asset class or doing larger deals. Number four is he wants the, make sure that you're comfortable with the deductible and the lower the premium, but you'll have a higher deductible and vice versa. And number five on the liability side, he wants $2 million aggregate coverage and then $1 million per occurrence. So those are some very tactical things that I thought I would bring to the table since we start off with something that's more conceptual and strategy. When you're getting insurance on a property, some things to keep in mind. And again, that's Jake Stacy and his interviews going to be coming out in a couple months. So you can hear the whole thing then. Good advice. What about number three? Number three, Jason Paulsner. He helps people develop marketing funnels for their business. And he is very confident in what he does. And it comes through with how he talks about it. And one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was interesting is he said, master the process. Don't worry about the outcomes. And that is applicable to everything we do in business and perhaps in life. Focus on mastering the process. Don't focus on the outcomes and trust that the outcomes will occur. So one specific example is he talks about how he deals primarily with single family home investors, wholesalers, fix and flippers, looking for deals, looking for leads, et cetera. And he mentioned how when someone gets a lead, he suggests the number one focus for that individual once you get a lead is to set the appointment. And that's the only goal is to get the appointment as fast as possible. And he said, the moment you get it, you should get the appointment as fast as possible, regardless of if it's qualified or not. Because then he said, when you do that, you build up your opportunities. And then you can then decide if it's an opportunity or not after you have that appointment with the person. Because it's typically that lead. And again, we're talking single family home arena. They are reaching out to multiple people. So you are in competition to get that lead. And if it doesn't work out initially, then perhaps there's a creative way to structure it. So that really comes back to how educated are you on different exit strategies? So subject to, or a lease option, or you flip it to another wholesaler, or it's more of a fix and flip thing. There's a lot of different exit strategies that you can employ if you know all the exit strategies. And we have previous podcasts on that. So really the overarching theme, as I mentioned, is master the process. Don't focus on the outcomes. And while he was talking about his single family home approach, that is applicable to 
everything we do. And I wholeheartedly believe in that philosophy because there are certain things that are proven over time from other people who have gotten the results that we're looking to get, that if we do these certain things over a period of time, then we will get outcomes. But if we focus on the outcomes, then we're distracting ourselves unnecessarily when really we should just be focused on mastering the proven process. And then once that's mastered, then good things will happen. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of that 50-50 goals concept as well. Yeah. Something I don't want to mention, it's not based off of the master of the process, but that specific challenge you had about making sure that the goal is to get that appointment as quickly as possible. Something that's helped me kind of increase my productivity is kind of doing the same thing. So whenever I think of something, it's going to be business or personal related. So if my wife tells me to do something, rather than saying, I'll just do it later, I'll either just do it right that second. Or I'll make sure that I write it down that second on my notepad. Because if something's written down on my notepad, if I do it right away, I'll do it. If those two things don't happen, then I'll forget about it and it won't happen. Or I'll just keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I do the same thing. And it usually comes if I think about doing something good for someone like Colleen, my wife, or my grandma, or my mom, or my dad, or someone else. I will immediately take action to do it. Immediately. Like a random, I love you card to Colleen. I'll immediately go to Walgreens and get the card or flowers for my grandma or something. I'll immediately set that up. And that's a habit that I don't know who exactly it separates, but it's a successful habit. I know that because it moves from a dreamer to a doer. So maybe it separates the dreamers from the doers because a lot of us have good intentions and really thoughtful things that we want to do for others. But immediately when you have that thought, why don't you just do it? Just do it immediately. Or as you said, if it's not practical to do it immediately, then just write down something. Because as Tony Robbins talks about, when you set goals, which this kind of is a goal, it's like a tactical goal. When you set goals, never leave the side of setting goals without taking one step towards achieving that goal. And that step could be just simply writing it down and saying, here's my next specific step. Or it could be, if it's something that takes a short period of time, it could just be knocking it out and doing it. Exactly. And this is works for me and I'm sure it works for other people too. But if you want to increase your productivity for your business, a good way to do that is to build up momentum through habits in other areas. So for example, if your goal is to, the second you get a lead, you want to call that person. But for some reason you're not doing that. Or the second you get a lead, you want to set an appointment. Or the second a deal comes online, you want to underwrite. If you're doing things instantaneously in other parts of your life, the second you have a thought about getting followers for your grandma, the second you have a thought about writing that note to your wife, the second you're supposed to go out there and for me, we always got a million boxes in our garage from Amazon. The second you think about that, go do that. You build up momentum doing it in your personal life, and then you can leverage that momentum, do it in your business life as well. So that happens for me. If I'm doing that in my personal life, I do it in my business life. If I'm not doing it in my personal life, I'm not doing it in my business life. So that's just oh, kind of how it's worked for me. Amen. Thank you for mentioning that. That's great. How you do one thing, how you do all things. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning. That's a good point. What about number four, the last one? Yeah, last one, number four, David Green. A lot of best ever listeners know David Green. He does a lot with bigger pockets. And in fact, he's releasing a book that's coming out. I forget when, but you can just search for that. I don't think it's out yet. But David Green, he's releasing a book on the Burr strategy and how to do it effectively. And he said something that when he said it, I was like, I've never heard it put that way. Yes, exactly what you just said. I completely agree because I'm experiencing it on my three single family homes. And I've talked about it on this show. And he said, cash flow is the defensive mechanism 
in the single family space. So cash flow is the defensive mechanism in the single family space. And what he means by that is when you buy a single family house, the real benefit of buying a single family house isn't the $100 that you make per month on your $20,000 investment to get that home. It is the equity that's built up over a period of time that you can then tap into and then use that to buy more homes or larger properties, whatever you choose to do, while still maintaining that $100 or $200 or $300 or $400 a month cash flow from that single family home. And that certainly could be argued. There are, I'm sure, a decent amount of people who purchase single family homes and they bought for cash flow, which I did when I was buying single family homes. I was thinking, hey, this is good cash flow play. But the reality is, at least from my personal experience, is I've got these three single family homes. They make a tiny bit of money, relatively speaking, 100, 200 bucks a month. And I have $350,000 worth of equity trapped in them. So I'm in the process, once each of the residents' leases expire, I'm going to sell them to a primary resident owner and you know, sell them off over the next year to two years. Because two to $600 a month versus $350,000 of trapped equity, hmm, which one do I want to get? And someone might say, well, why don't you just do a refinance on these and then you can get some of the equity and then you might cash flow. And that's actually an option that I might consider, but I'd rather just not deal with them. But the point is, is the cash flow isn't the best thing to think of when you're buying single family homes, but rather it's the equity appreciation. Yeah, so we're kind of in a similar situation because we have one single family home in Cincinnati, the one that we used to live in, that we're renting out. And we've been considered kind of selling it as well because it's not necessarily cash flowing a ton. And we do have a lot of equity that's trapped in there, as you mentioned, similar to your situation. And the cash flow isn't something that we're super excited about because it's only like a hundred bucks a month on a 300 plus thousand dollar property. So it definitely makes sense to sell. We're just going to kind of earn a wait similar to you for our, our lease to expire. So if you can sell it to someone who would actually live there, an investor is not going to buy it because it doesn't make sense from an investment standpoint. Mm-hmm. So we're in a similar situation. Cool. All right. So those were the four things you learned last week. Good information. I, I think personally, my, my favorite was the stay in your lane. I, I really like that philosophy a lot. Yeah, it's very powerful. Stay in your lane. You focus on what you are learning and are practicing and There's money to be made. I think having an abundance mentality is important because then you think, okay, there is money to be made with what I'm doing. How have others done that? And let me follow that model and let me move forward with that model versus thinking, well, maybe there's something better out there. So let me try that. Maybe there's something better, but we can make money in any type of real estate asset class. Exactly. Alrighty, moving on to the trivia question. Last week's question was, According to Zillow, the best time of the year to list your single family home for sale is the first half of May. What is the best day of the week to sell? And so that's the highest price and the fastest listing to contract. And the answer was actually Saturday. Hmm. So I I thought it would be a weekday. Now, there's a lot of different answers out there. Essentially, it's somewhere between Thursday and Saturday is what I've seen. But for Zillow's specific research, they landed on Saturday. So the first person that got that correct will receive a free copy of the first best ever book. This week's question is kind of similar, but now it's from the renter's perspective. 
And the question is, what is the best time of the month for a renter to rent? And that is, what is the best month of the year where the rent would be the lowest for them? It's going to be November or December. I guess December. Okay. So the first person to get that correct again will receive a free copy of the first best ever book. You can either submit your answer via the comment section in the YouTube video below, or if you are listening to this on the podcast, you can submit your answer to info at joefairless.com. And then lastly, guys and girls, please pick up a copy of the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon. And if you leave a review and send us a screenshot, we will email you a link to download a bunch of syndication goodies, as well as you will have the opportunity to have your review read aloud on the podcast. This week's review came, actually, I don't know the the person's name on here. I don't think it was actually a person's name. I think it was a combination of letters or something. But they said, this book is helping me transition from investing in properties with just a few units to investing in properties with a large number of units. Joe does a great job of taking aspects of real estate that may seem overwhelming, like raising huge amounts of capital, finding off-market deals and underwriting, and breaking them down into actionable tasks. The book is similar to some of Robert Kiyosaki's books in that while it doesn't give all the answers needed to become a successful real estate investor, it'll push you in the right direction and cause you to think critically and creatively to solve problems. Cool. Well, thank you for that review. And we tried to make it as much of a how to do things as possible, not just theory based, but okay, here's the concepts. Now here's specifically how to do it. So I appreciate those comments and best ever listeners. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you got some value from our conversation. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.